Welcome to Restored for Life with Pastor Ben Harris, the senior pastor at Restored Community Church, where God's perfect word restores imperfect people. Here's today's message from Pastor Ben. Well, greetings, everybody. Welcome back to our study called Pit to Palace, the life of Joseph. Turn with me in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 42. Since we're halfway through the study, I thought I'd recap the events up to this point in our study. Jacob, the current patriarch of the small nation of Israel, is father of 12 sons from four mothers, two sons which are from the most beloved wife, Rachel. Those are Joseph and Benjamin, two of his favorites. The remaining 10 sons grow to hate Joseph in particular, and they decide to get rid of him. Their discussion in God's providence, they end up selling their younger brother to a band of slave traders that are headed for Egypt. They tell their father, Jacob, that a wild animal must have attacked Joseph out in the wilderness, and they present dad with the coat of many colors that he purchased for him. They had shredded it, and poured lamb's blood on it to make it look like a wild animal, possibly a cougar or or a lion, had attacked him and eaten him. Joseph's actually sent off to Egypt where he is sold off to a very powerful man by the name of Potiphar. While at Potiphar's house, Joseph becomes employee of the month. But just when these things, uh, when things are looking up for this young star, Potiphar's desperate housewife starts making moves on this young and handsome man. And after many advances towards him over a long period of time, the day comes when she just lays hands on him. But Joseph is a man of integrity and a man who respects both God and his boss. So he breaks free of her grasp while literally running out of his robe. This cougar of a wife is furious. And she makes a false accusation against young Joseph, stating that he attempted to rape her. Joseph, who had done nothing wrong and everything right, was thrown into prison for something he hadn't done. But just as he had had a practice of doing, he rose to the top of that Egyptian penitentiary. He's placed in charge of the daily activities in the prison. And one day he's made the servant of two of the king's closest workers, the baker, the wine steward of Pharaoh himself. One day, both men have a dream, and Joseph interprets it and the meaning of it to the servants. The wine steward will be sent back into Pharaoh's court, and the baker will be executed for what he had done in the palace. Their two interpretations end up coming true three days later, and Joseph asks the wine steward to help him out of confinement. He tells him, listen, I don't deserve to be here. I didn't do anything wrong. Please tell Pharaoh, get me out of this place. Well, God causes the wine steward to forget all about Joseph until one night, Pharaoh has two dreams himself. No one can interpret the dreams until God causes the wine steward to remember what Joseph had done for him and the baker. He tells Pharaoh that there's a man in prison that interprets dreams perfectly and accurately. Pharaoh calls for Joseph, and Joseph interprets his dream spot on. 
In essence, what he dreamed and the warning God gave him was this. There will be seven years of a great and mighty harvest in Egypt, followed by seven years of a great drought over all of Egypt and all the surrounding nations. Joseph presents a plan for surviving the drought, and Pharaoh is blown away with the brilliance of this young man. He makes him the second most powerful man in all of Egypt and gives him control to carry out the plan to save the entire kingdom as well as all the nations that surround him. Joseph carries out the plan with great wisdom, overseeing a a large corporation and setting up food banks across the land. The seven years of plenty go by. Now follows the seven years of drought. Joseph and his brothers have not seen each other at this point for about 20 to 25 years. But God uses this drought and the famine to drive his 10 brothers to Egypt in search of food. Jacob kept Benjamin home, not wanting to risk losing his only and last favorite son. Since God is writing this story, he places Joseph at the same food bank as the one his brothers show up to looking for food. While he recognizes them immediately, they haven't a clue as to who they're talking to. Joseph uses this to his advantage and wants to see where their hearts are after all these years. Long story short, while they may regret the actions that they took against Joseph some 25 years ago, there's no sign of repentance or sorrow to what they had done to their brothers. Joseph uses the great wisdom that God has given him. He decides to test them by accusing the ten brothers of being spies who have come out to Egypt to spy on them to see how they might overcome Egypt. Then he decides to keep Simeon in prison and sends the remaining nine to go home and get Benjamin and return with him to prove that they were not spies at all and that their story was actually trustworthy. Joseph orders his servants to fill their sacks with grain on their donkeys. And, and then he says, after the sacks of grain are all put in their donkey, on their donkeys, I want you to slip in all their money. Each of the nine get all their money back. They discover the money halfway home. When they return, their father is furious with the nine Jacob refuses to allow them to take Benjamin back to Egypt, and he leaves Simeon in custody for the time being. Time passes. The famine worsens, and once again their food is running low. Jacob is forced to make a decision he doesn't want to make, and there's great anxiety in Canaan. Now, that's where we are. That's where we left off. Next, the, uh, these next few chapters roll out like a powerful six-scene play. And so here's scene number one. Here's scene number one, where we see the anxiety of the brothers. Let's begin reading in chapter 42 and pick up in verse 25. We left off with 24 last week. Then Joseph gave a command to fill their sacks with grain, to restore every man's money to his sack, and to give them provisions for the journey. Thus he did for them. So they loaded their donkeys with grain and departed from there. 
But as one of them opened his sack to give his donkey feed at the encampment, he saw his money. And there it was in the mouth of the sack. So he said to his brothers, my money has been restored. And and there it is in my sack. Then their hearts failed them and they were afraid, saying to one another, what is this that God has done to us? You see, they already knew that this second in command, Zapnath Panea, is not a guy you mess around with. They were supposed to have paid for this grain, but now their money's here. Verse 29, Then they went to Jacob, their father, in the land of Canaan, and told him all that had happened to them, saying, The man who is lord of the land spoke roughly to us and took us for spies of the country. But we said to him, We are honest men. We are not spies. We are twelve brothers, sons of our father. One is no more. And the youngest is with our father this day in the land of Canaan. Then the man, the lord of the country, said to us, By this I will know that you are honest men. Leave one of your brothers here with me. Take food for the famine of your households and be gone. And bring your youngest brother to me, so I shall know that you are not spies, but that you are honest men. I will grant your brother to you, and you may trade in the land." Then it happened as they emptied their sacks that surprisingly, each man's bundle of money was in his sack. And when they and their father saw the bundles of money, (laughs) they were afraid. Now by now, the brothers realize that God is up to something in their lives, and that causes them great anxiety. How did they get their money back into the sacks? This was supposed to be their payment to Pharaoh for the grain they were purchasing. Scripture doesn't reveal who paid for the grain that day, but my guess is that it is Joseph. In scene one, we saw the anxiety of the brothers, and now here's scene two, where we see the anxiety of their father. Verse 36, And Jacob their father said to them, You have bereaved me. Joseph is no more. Simeon is no more. And you want to take Benjamin. All these things are against me. Simeon was in an Egyptian prison cell now, and now his sons want to they want to take Benjamin back with them. His only connection to his beloved wife, Rachel, back with them to this unreasonable and cruel ruler. Not good. And while the brothers suspect God is at work in their lives, they still don't do any soul-searching that would lead to repentance and forgiveness. You don't see it. They're not there yet. And if we're honest today, I imagine all of us could use a little time with God in the midst of the storm. Time when we can pause to pray and ask God if there's something that we've done or if we have a part in what is going on in our storm. But in spite of ourselves, God is still working behind the scenes to bring about His will. And aren't we glad He does? And He's clearly working in these brothers' life, lives through Joseph, their brother. Scene one, the anxiety of the brothers. Scene two, the anxiety of their father. And here's scene number three, we, where we see dad's discouragement and despair. Verse 36. And Jacob, their father, said to them, You have bereaved me. Joseph is no more. Simeon is no more. And you want to take Benjamin. All these things are against me. 
Then Reuben spoke to his father saying, kill my two sons if I do not bring him back to you. Put him in my hands and I will bring him back to you. Now, Jacob doesn't trust Reuben. Reuben's already done some horrific things and sinned against his father in the past. Here's Jacob's answer. My son shall not go down with you, for his brother is dead and he is left alone. If any calamity should befall him along the way in which you go, then you would bring down my gray hair with sorrow to the grave. Interesting choice of words that Joseph uses here in verse 36. You have bereaved me can be translated to you have always bereaved me and continue to bereave me. Or you have always robbed me and continue to rob me. He didn't trust these boys anymore. It's as if Jacob has always suspected the ten eldest sons of foul play concerning Joseph. Verse 36, all these things are against me. Jacob's history with God is somewhat of an on-again, off-again. Here it's off as, we can't, as he can't see God working in his family at all. He doesn't see any of this. It's heartbreaking here to, to read Jacob's declaration of his love for Joseph and Benjamin, but not for the other ten. This is yet another hurtful statement to the older brothers. They had obeyed their father's direction to go to Egypt and purchase grain for the family and for the livestock. Was it their fault that an intimidating ruler asked too many questions of them and they had to answer? Questions that they had to answer truthfully? It wasn't their fault Pharaoh's second-in-command demanded Simeon, Reuben's suggestion to offer up his own kids' lives was over the line, clearly. He should not have made that statement. He had no right to, to murder, commit murder, if he didn't, wasn't able to return Benjamin. Either way, Dad was having none of it and refused to allow Benjamin to travel far from home. All this, and yet the famine was an ever-present reminder that the brothers, including Benjamin, had a date with destiny back in Egypt. And there was no going around that fact. In scene four, we see the painful postponement of decisions. Jacob doesn't want to respond. He, doesn't, he, he needs to make a decision, but he keeps putting it off. While their grain supplies dwindled down, Jacob delayed making a painful but inevitable decision. Chapter 43 now in your Bibles, verse 1. Now the famine was severe in the land, and it came to pass when they had eaten up the grain which they had brought from Egypt, that their father said to them, Go back and buy us a little food. But Judah spoke to him. The man solemnly, he's talking about Joseph now, Zapnapaneah. The man solemnly warned us, saying, You shall not see my face unless your brother is with you. If you send our brother with us, this is Judah, we will go down and buy you food. But if you will not send him, we will not go down. For the man said to us, You shall not see my face unless your brother is with you. And Israel, a.k.a. Jacob, said, Why do you deal so wrongfully with me? As I tell the man whether you still had another brother. They, they didn't have to say that they had Benjamin, there was another brother, but they did. And they were truthful. But they said, The man asked us pointedly about ourselves and our family, saying, Is your father still alive? Have you another brother? And we told him according to these words. 
Could we possibly have known that he would say, bring your brother down? Then Judah said to Israel, his father, send the lad with me and we will arise and go that we may live and not die, both we and you and also our little ones. This, that's the exact sentence that their father had told them the first time they needed to leave. I myself will be surety for him. From my hand you shall require him. If I do not bring him back to you and set him before you, then let me bear the blame forever, Judah says. For if we had not lingered, surely by now we would have returned this second time. He's basically saying, look, Dad, we got to go back. Our brother's still in prison. We told him we were going to go back and turn around and bring Benjamin. It's, <laughs> it's been a while now. He's expecting us to return. Jacob's love for Benjamin was blinding him to the fact that they, they needed to return to Egypt with Ben in tow. Judah seems to now take on the leadership role for which his offspring will step into down the line here. Jesus would come through the line of Judah, and he reminds his dad that the powerful ruler, Joseph in disguise, would already be expecting them by now, so they couldn't delay a moment longer. They needed to get back. Judah assures his father that he would place his own life ahead of Benjamin's life. In effect, if it comes down to one of us having to die, Judah is saying, it wouldn't be Ben, don't worry. It'll be me. In this statement, we begin to hear the change of heart which Joseph longed to see in all of his brothers' hearts. Judah was telling his father that he would sacrifice himself if need be to secure his favorite son. Scene number one, the anxiety of the brothers. And we saw the anxiety of the father. Dad's discouragement and despair. The painful postponement of decisions. And in scene five, we see Jacob's disbelief in God's plans. Verse 11, And their father, Israel, said to them, If it must be so, then do this. Take some of the best fruits of the land in your vessels and carry down a present for the man. A little balm, a little honey, spices, myrrh, pistachio notes, almonds, Take double money in your hand and take back in your hand the money that was returned in the mouth of your sacks. Perhaps it was an oversight. Take your brother also and arise and go to the man. And may God Almighty give you mercy before the man that he may release your other brother and Benjamin. If I am bereaved, I am bereaved. So the men took the present and Benjamin and they took double money in their hand and arose and went down to Egypt and they stood before Joseph. You see, there's a huge difference between trusting in God's plans and resigning oneself to karma. And Jacob reveals where he stands in all of this. If it must be so, it's, you know, whatever it is, where's God in all of this? Jacob, where's your faith? He really misses a great opportunity to show his family a strong faith in God's goodness and grace. Dads, grandpas, when the next storm comes, be ready, be mindful to cinch down your armor, tighten your chin straps, pick up your shield, 
and present your sword, a man, a father, a Christ follower who's ready to do battle in the strength which God gives to all who will trust and overcome to Him. Let the family see that, that we're the first to stand up and to point to God and say, yes, this is tough. Yes, this is difficult, but God. But my faith in God is stronger than anything. Let the family see that because one day you and I will not be here and our sons are going to need to hear more than playful platitudes. Uh, scene number five, Jacob's disbelief in God's plans. And in scene number six, we see the party before the pressure. The party before the pressure. Uh, Joseph's not done playing with these brothers. He's wooing them to repentance. He's going to move them a little further. But first, they're going to sit down and have a little party. As the brothers, Benjamin included now, traveled the 15 days to Egypt, they had a lot of concerns on their mind. They had to settle the issue of the money showing up in their sacks. That would be number one. And they had to make sure, of course, the big weight is Benjamin. No matter what happens, guys, Benjamin goes home. If all nine of us have to die or become Pharaoh's slaves, Benjamin goes home. We can't do this to dad again. Let's continue in verse 16. When Joseph saw Benjamin with them, he said to the steward of his house, take these men to my home and slaughter an animal and make ready, for these men will dine with me at noon. Then the man did as Joseph ordered, and the man brought the men into Joseph's house. When they drew near to the steward of Joseph's house, they talked with him at the door of the house and said, Oh, sir, we indeed came down the first time to buy food, but it happened when we came to the encampment that we opened our sacks, and there each man's money was in the mouth of his sack. So we have brought it back in our hand, and we have brought down other money in our hands to buy food we do not know who put our money in our sacks but joseph steward he says peace be with you do not be afraid your god and the god of your father has given you treasure in your sacks i had your money concern number one check then he brought simeon out to them <laughs> concern number two check then he says, so, man, so the man brought the men into Joseph's house and, and gave them water and they washed their feet and he gave their donkeys feet. He's taking care of everyone. Then they made the present ready. Remember that present that their father says, make sure you get this, you know, the fruit and the, you know, and the essential oils. And, and they made the present ready for Joseph's coming at noon for they heard that they would eat bread there. And when Joseph came home, they brought him the present which was in their hand into the house and bowed down before him to the earth. This is the third time these guys are now on their knees bowing before Joseph, just as God had revealed to Joseph in his dreams. Here they are again. Then he asked them about their well-being and said, is your father well? The old man of whom you spoke, is he still alive? And they answered, your servant, our father is in good health. He is still alive. And they bowed their heads down and they prostrated themselves in front of Joseph. <laughs> 
Then he lifted his eyes, uh, Joseph, and saw his brother Benjamin, his mother's son, and said, is this your younger brother of whom you spoke to me? And he said, God be gracious to you, my son. Now his heart yearned for his brother. He wants to go over and bear hug his little brother. So Joseph made haste and sought somewhere to weep. He just couldn't contain the emotions after 25 years of not seeing his little brother. And he wept there. Then he washed his face and came out and he restrained himself and said, serve the bread. So they set him a place by himself. This is Benjamin. He got to eat by himself, probably close to Joseph. And them by themselves, the other ten brothers, and the Egyptians who ate with him by themselves, because the Egyptians could not eat food with the Hebrews, for that was an abomination to the Egyptians. I thought that's funny. So they had to go eat by themselves. And they sat before him, the firstborn according to his birthright, and the youngest according to his youth. And the men looked in astonishment at one another. Joseph puts them in perfect order. Then he took servings to them from before him, but Benjamin's serving was five times as much as any of theirs. Concern number three, Benjamin's not just safe. Zapnathpaneah is a real fan of his. Seems like Benjamin. So they drank and were merry with him. What's the reoccurring theme in our story? When things seem to be going smooth, when all seems to point to a happy ending, there's change afoot. Come back next week for the rest of the story. Restored for Life is a radio ministry brought to you by Restored Community Church. Visit RestoredCommunityChurch.org to learn more about Pastor Ben Harris and for service times. Join Pastor Ben next time as we set out on a journey to discover the authentic life as Christ followers through obedience to His Word.